Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week we feature two different discussions around space at the margins. First, we hear about sex worker artists creating space and storytelling in the Emerging Writers Festival in a political environment where sex worker spaces are under attack online and offline. Later in the program, we hear about the struggle around space at queer pride marches, with queers challenging the oppressive institution of the police, amongst others, despite many other queer people welcoming representation by police. But first, to sex work in space. I'm joined by Gala Vanting, who is one of the artists featured in the Emerging Writers Festival and the Intro Rooms event Sex Work in Space. But first, would you like to tell listeners a bit about yourself? Sure. I have been a sex worker for 17 years, and I guess, you know, a lot of my work has has centered around sex worker identity, how we... Uh, how we fit in space, how we fit into spaces. Um, And I also uh, do a lot of advocacy around sex worker, labour and human rights. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Before going to the events, would you like to tell listeners a bit about your writing and artistic practices? Sure. So I guess I have always made work about sexuality and sex work. I started my creative practice around that with a, in a, a sort of filmmaking duet called Sensate Films. Um, we made a lot of um, a lot of work at that time about intimacy and identity and BDSM, um, and tried to really kind of create um, containers for performers, some of whom were sex workers and some of whom didn't identify that way. To, to create something that was really personal to them. Uh, since that time, I have also done a bit of writing. So generally that work is m- nonfiction. So I, I might write pieces about, you know, current issues in, that affect sex workers. Um, most recently things like the online safety bill. And I also now have a, an experiential kind of space that I run um, that, that feels like an extension of those practices and that space is something that, that people can hire to, to play with intimacy and occupying space. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my work has really focused around the topic that's been chosen for this event, so I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of it. Yeah, awesome. Would you like to tell listeners a bit about the event Sex Work in Space and some of the themes which you've already touched on? Sure. So Sex Work in Space is a storytelling event featuring six sex worker storytellers. And all of us have been brought together to talk about the the loss of, of space or and the loss of access to physical and digital spaces. The way that we legislate sex work has a lot to do with whether or not or how we occupy space 
there is so much controversy surrounding the mere existence of sex workers in digital spaces. Um, and that's been going for a while now. And we've been seeing both a sort of moralistic, but also a, a, a governmental and regulatory disappearance of the, the spaces that sex workers occupy together, that we occupy with our clients, um, that we use to stay safe and, and well in our work. And we also have just a lot of restriction on, on the spaces that we can occupy in the physical world. So the stories that you'll hear on Monday night will talk about all about those issues from six different angles. And the, the sex workers who will talk about them all have pretty diverse experiences of existing in both digital and physical spaces. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a really significant event for sex worker communities and storytelling, especially in light of the pandemic and criminalization online of sex workers and offline as well. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that, um, you know, like the, the, the disappearance of our digital spaces and our voices from um, lots of, you know, creative and political um, uh, sort of, uh, I guess, discourse um, is, is something that, that everyone should be concerned about. And festivals like EWF, by giving space for this, this, these voices and these topics, are kind of, uh, you know, working against that trend to silence or to um, erase or to create these kinds of, I guess, ghostly spaces that were that sex workers once occupied. And so I think that that's a really that, that's an important reason why people should should come and, and listen to these spaces, these stories, um, because we, we we have this sort of decreased access to being able to hear sex worker voices in the general public. Mm, yes. And often in the mainstream, it's in a highly stigmatizing and a highly like way that causes damage and is part of the oppression that sex workers face. Exactly. So talking a bit more about some of the things you've talked about, I think you've touched on this. What's the relationships for you between writing, art and advocacy? I think that writing is advocacy. I think that when we put our work out into the world, we are, you know, uh, we are doing some level of advocacy because we are constantly having to reinsert ourselves into spaces from which we've been removed or from from which we've never had access. So I think there is, whilst I don't think that, you know, every sex worker who puts a story out into the world necessarily needs to be politically responsible for the whole of the, I guess, sex worker body, body politic. I do think that our stories have this extra significance because of the, the margin that we're writing from. And I think there is also, you know, to, to be able to self-create, to be able to self-iterate is a pretty big deal because we're a community that's often spoken over or, or who experience a lot of paternalism. There are, you know, politicians speak for us or over us, you know, sometimes healthcare professionals and, you know, all, all of those other spaces where we experience discrimination. There's spaces where someone else thinks that they know what's best for us or someone else is trying to protect somebody from us. And writing ourselves and, and sort of declaring our own identities and our own stories puts us 
really kind of into that space and allows us to speak over those who would speak for us. As well as this event, are there any collaborations you've been a part of in the past that have been powerful for you? I think all of my collaborations um, creatively have have been have been that for me. I, I guess the you know I find power in my sex work identity in lots of different contexts, um, and sometimes it, it's a powerful experience just to be a sex worker among uh, among other sex workers. You know, just to have that peer that peerness. You know, if it's not if it's not peer. <laughs> it's just less good. So I think there's, you know, especially in environments like this event, being able to to listen to and be heard by my own peers is a really significant act. And I think we build community through that process, even if those stories are not always easy to hear. Mm, yeah, for sure. While I have you, is there anything else you'd like to shout out to or talk about that's pressing? So... We've had this kind of long struggle with the precarity of sex work and COVID-19 and the, the deep loss of income that our community has experienced. So currently there is a fundraiser being conducted by Scarlet Alliance, which is the Australian Sex Workers Association, to support sex workers who have been impacted by lockdown. And there's currently um, some payments going out to sex workers in Victoria who are in need of emergency funds. So I just support and encourage people to make a donation to that if they can. There's a chapped fund, um, especially for the cause. And that's something that's been running for over a year and is is a great example of the ways that sex workers look after each other um, and the mutual aid that we provide each other and the community that we create in crises like COVID-19. Awesome. Yes, I'll provide a link to that for listeners in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me on Community Radio. And also, where can listeners follow your work? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Ms. Gala Vanting, on Twitter at Gala underscore Vanting, um, and my website is galavanting.info. Okay, thanks so much, Gala. Thank you. You just heard from Gala Vanting. You can find a link to the Chuffed Fundraiser for Sex Workers Needing Material Support by searching for Emergency Support Fund for Sex Workers Chuffed online. You can also check out Scarlet Alliance on the web and social media for updates on their campaigns, including on concerns with the worrying federal online safety bill. The Emerging Writers Festival and the Intro Room Sex Work in Space is on the 21st of June between 7 and 8pm, online, Auslan interpreted and live captioned, with tickets at the Emerging Writers Festival website. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Women on the Line is produced in the studio of 3CR Community Radio, and we are currently calling for support to keep bringing radical voices to the airwaves via our June radio appeal. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. If you are able to support Community Radio at this time, please consider making a donation to 3CR or the local station that you're listening to us on. Around the world, queer people have been protesting the violence of police, arguing they should have no place in queer pride marches that should be based on principles of solidarity and liberation, and not an oppressive institution. June is also recognises Pride Month internationally. In recent years, police have been banned from marching in Pride marches in Auckland to New York City. 
Their involvement in Mardi Gras in Sydney and Midsummer Pride March in Melbourne was actively contested earlier this year. We hear from two people contesting Midsummer in uh, Melbourne in May. The interviews first aired on 3CR's Clearing the Air. At the Midsummer Pride March, a small group, including myself, held a small action by holding a No Pride in Police banner in front of the police float. I spoke to protest member Nick after the event on 3CR. I asked Nick about how the protest was received. The protest was received really mixed. I think the spectators and onlookers were quite divided. Like, there was a lot of people who were, were saying, yep, police should not be part of Melbourne Pride. Pride marches all over the world are banning police, cutting ties with police. And it's time that Midsummer did the same with Melbourne Pride March. But then there's also lots of people saying, no, the police have a right to be there too. You shouldn't exclude police. We need to be all inclusive and that includes police. And these sorts of arguments about inclusion, which I think are really rooted in this idea that there's like a bad relationship with police. And in order to fix that relationship, we have to be, like, respectful and include police in our spaces and our events, which is obviously incredibly flawed analysis and strategy. Yeah. Um, Because there isn't just a bad relationship. Like, police are the violent and coercive um, and brutal arm of coercive force in this colonial state that enforce rigid gender and sexual norms as well as, you know, racist white supremacist laws through the colonial legal system that ends up disproportionately impacting not just LGBTIQA plus people, but migrant communities, people of colour, black and indigenous people. And we see that in the increasing numbers of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being killed in police custody just accelerating and mass incarceration like in the Northern Territory 100% of young people imprisoned are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander police, you know, this isn't just a bad relationship between police and the queer and trans community like police have a bad relationship with everyone because that's their job their job to enact violence on all all of these communities that was Nick speaking there on a small protest against the police involvement in Midsummer in May. Next, we hear from Leniok, first sharing a poem entitled March with Pride that she was invited to write by Midsummer, which they pulled from screening to close Midsummer March's live stream. Leniok is in conversation with 3CR Community Radio's M. Gafer. To be queer is to be in step with your ever-shifting spirit even when your spirit is out of step with your surroundings. Today, I am who I am. To be queer does sometimes mean to sit in awkward silences with family, or to block punches as you walk down the street, to not be able to read about people like you in books, to have your morality talked about on TV, to be told who you are is a phase. That no one else in your family is gay. Although we suspect otherwise, eyebrows raised. To be queer is to be in sync with the rhythm of life. Pounding the ground on arrival. I am here. I am queer. I am floating through the air like a brick to the face of the colonial state. The first pride march was in rage. 
led by black and brown trans women, it grew to a global movement that couldn't be contained. The first Pride March was a protest as colonial laws tried to push us into corners, tried to push us into hard places in our minds. They said, conform to these binaries. We said it's not within our nature to be straight lines. But over the years, we've been sold conformity for corporate promotion and capitalist greed, the pink dollar in exchange for a token show on TV if we shaved away enough of our edges, we could fit more snugly into heteronormativity. Pride has become powered by banks and capitalist values. Cops are invited to march alongside the same people that they persecute. Being a cop is not an identity. It's an armed and violent branch of the ongoing colony, an institution designed to maintain systems of control and to protect private property. The police don't give a fuck about your safety. If the laws change tomorrow, they would enforce without hesitancy. The police is not an identity. The same people who created laws to confine us to closets now play inception and confine us from the inside. What does it mean now to march with pride? To march in straight lines eyes fixed or projected concept of freedom that does not stop to pause at the intersections. Who else in this world sits at the intersection of gay? And who isn't marching today? Not out of lack of pride or out of shame, but because we're still raging against the many injustices performed by the state and white cis gay culture seems to think that that's okay then goes on to appropriate the language and culture and dress of black and brown finesse regurgitates to make money without working to make amends. There's a reason black and brown had to be added to the flag. Because we're still fighting for the same visibility as back in 1970 and it seems to me Pride March chose assimilation over solidarity. Not everything that glitters is gold. So today some of us chose safety over visibility and not just from the outside world but within our own community. Rainbows and loud music just isn't enough and we've come to realise that you're never really marching for us. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. And that's a pretty pretty powerful introduction, but perhaps you want to just introduce yourself for listeners who haven't heard your poetry before. So my name is Laniuk. I'm Larakia Kungarakan and Gurindji, which is around the Darwin city region, Darwin being Latakia, the neighbouring country, my grandmother's country, Kungarakan, and Gurindji a little bit further into the desert, French on my mum's side. I am a poet, a writer of memoir, speculative fiction, and I hope to one day write for TV and film. Women on the Line being forced to fragment our identities or segment ourselves off in order to be accepted, which is a really violent practice that happens to queer people from the sort of cisgender hetero world around us. And you obviously mentioned that you've experienced that in terms of racism and tokenism. Like, how does that feel for you going into those spaces and where you kind of expect to receive safety and then have that? I'm, I'm really interested by that word that you just used, segmenting, the ways that we have to sort of break ourselves off and experience ourselves off in one way to be able to exist in a space and try to pass through that space safely. And when we're talking about queerness, I think that really speaks to the almost monoculture of queerness, this idea that there is one way to experience queerness and queerness is rainbows, queerness is glitter, queerness is, you know, the L word, queerness is football or, you know, all of these, you know, stereotypes. What does it mean to not be a queer that fits into that? And where is the space for a different 
for different cultural understandings of queerness. My understanding of queerness as an Aboriginal person does not fit into what Midsummer is trying to sell me. Mm. I don't want to march with the cops. I don't want to march with the enforcers of a colony that has stolen my land and refuses to give it back to me and refuses to undermine my sovereignty every single day. I don't want to march with your minions and claim to be proud of my queerness. That's not what my queerness is. That's not what my queerness will ever be. Mm. So it's a really strange mentality that, and not just midsummer, right? Like this isn't just midsummer. This is Pride March almost like, I don't, I've never, I haven't been to every Pride March in the world, but I, safe to say, I feel like most Pride Marches in the world are following this particular narrative, mm. following this particular idea of freedom and have not stopped to consider what they are upholding and what they are reinforcing when they allow agents of the state to march alongside queerness. Mm. What is queerness? becoming then it feels a little bit like the homonormativity and the kind of move of corporate the corporatization of queerness towards you know fitting more into that lens it's a certain narrowing of kinds and the way I hear you speak about your experience it kind of it almost meets that with quite an expansiveness I feel and I kind of wanted to go into talking about you have an article up on SBS titled writing new roads of possibility and combating an aboriginalist future where you kind of explore the frameworks of speculative fiction and futurism that help to imagine new possibilities for writing Aboriginal futures and creating kind of, you know, new imaginative futures. And I guess I'm really interested in that concept too. And I wonder if you want to talk about that framework just generally, first of all, and then we could maybe think about how it might apply mm-hmm. to kind of queer futurism for and liberation. Sure. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Have you ever written speculative fiction or futurism? I don't think I have, No. It's really hard. (laughs) It is really hard. It's really hard to try to challenge or remove the limitations of your current situation to imagine a future beyond this. Because if I was to sit in our current narrative and look down our future, look down our path and imagine what is coming ahead, I can come up with some pretty bleak ideas of where we're going and not have a lot of hope. So when we try to sit and we try to think about a world in the future where cops don't exist, how did we get there? What do we do once we're there? To sit down and write speculative fiction is incredibly challenging and it's something I'm dedicated to, but it's, you know, it's really pushing me to the limits because you have to do so much unlearning and so much unimagining to begin to reimagine so what does speculative f- future or speculative fiction, you know, bring to queer liberation? I think the question is what can queer liberation bring to other parts, you know what I mean? Mm. Because I think queerness as an intersection exists in every possible aspect of our lives, of society. Everything can be queered. Mm. And the liberation of Palestine is a queer issue. The Jabberung birthing trees are a queer issue. It's not just glitter. It's not just marriage equality. It's not just partying. It's not just the L word. 
it's so much more than that. Queerness exists in every part of us. So when we're looking to queer liberation in the future, really that hinges on the liberation of everyone else. I feel like that links back to what we're saying about the way that a lot of kind of current large and corporatized queer spaces force that segmentation. It's kind of creating that future where there is a space for wholeness. And when we're segmented, we can be used, mm. right? Which is what the pink washing that we see. Actually, you know, that I've, I'm, I'm starting to realize more and more that colonial states really like to use us for their benefit mm. and use us, use us in our segmented, fractured way to further their own agendas, which we've seen Israel doing with Palestine, promoting itself as a queer-friendly location while bombing and massacring Indigenous Palestinian people, which we see the Australian government doing. You know, even just this morning I was reflecting on when marriage equality was passed and the whole plebiscite, and at the same time there were so many big issues that were being completely overwhelmed. Women on the line. Your video on Instagram, you asked, can pride be saved? Thinking about what we've just talked about. How do you feel about that question? <laughs> I was expecting this yeah. question. <laughs> I really don't know because mm. I have an emotional attachment to pride. You know, coming out as a young person, it did bring me something. I'm not going to lie. You know, being a part of a group, being able to march in the streets, you know, after experiencing homophobia from, you know, my family and from friends and from randoms in the street, it felt so powerful as a 19-year-old to walk as a group en masse through tiny, quiet little Adelaide. We didn't have an audience, but it felt, it felt important to me. It felt significant. I do have an emotional attachment. I think, and historically, Pride March does hold history. It did start off in a radical way. It was invested in intersectional freedom and it's been co-opted by corporations, by capitalism, by cops. Like, I don't know how we got here, but it happened. Yeah. I want to have hope. But do we just cut our losses and, like, <laughs> create something new? Maybe. But yeah. who's to say that it won't happen again? We need to figure out how this happened, how we got here. How do we combat it? Because to not understand what happened, I think we run the, the risk of re-perpetuating that mistake. That was Lenny Ock speaking to M. Gaither on challenging conservative political spaces in Midsummer Pride March and imagining a future towards liberation. You can follow Lenny Ock's work on Instagram. You can hear more of that conversation where it first aired on Queering the Air 3CR on the podcast page on the 3CR website. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send us an email at womenonthelineline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And make sure to subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting app.
I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station. Did you enjoy listening to this podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon, and we need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donation really matters. Help support community-powered podcasts for another year.